Hey everybody, my name is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. So, thank you to everybody. Thank you so much to everybody who has listened to the episode I recorded on The Night is Short Walk On Girl so far. I was really surprised at how quickly people picked that up and ran with it. I'm really happy that the weird movie I went to see with my best friend from college was able to give people such joy listening to me ramble on about it. And it was truly and honestly an interesting movie. And if you have the chance to go to see it somehow, I would totally recommend it. But also, thank you everybody for coming to my panels. And if you are a new listener listening to this podcast because you saw my panel, I'm I'm sorry I've disappointed you. And thank you for joining me since I realized that my podcast got a huge uptick after that Saturday when I did two panels at um, Liberty City Anime Con. I just came up with an idea for a third panel, which is dangerous because I might have to be there two days in a row. And one of those days can't be Friday because I probably have work at that time next year. So we'll see how that goes. We'll we'll. we'll We'll see what's what happens because I obviously still have to finish the panels and submit them to various conventions to see if I get in and all that fun, like pull your hair out, slightly worried about it kind of thing. Um, but that is not what we're here to talk about today. As always, we are here to talk about a odd show, and that show is. Tenjo Tenge. I'm sure we all remember when we were 14 and we just got into anime and we had made it past to the kind of what I like to call the great the the great introduction barrier, which is stuff like Dragon Ball Z, stuff like um, shonen shows that are really excessively tropey and they don't but 
they all they're all kind of derived from the same like core sauce of Dragon Ball Z and card game anime for lack of a better saying and probably even earlier than that but things like they're all like kind of pull from jo- a combination of like JoJo, Dragon Ball D and Yu-Gi-Oh in like a weird way and also One Piece. Always One Piece, weirdly. But um actually not that weirdly. That show that show and anime that anime and manga have been going all on forever. I saw the first episode of One Piece on Four Kids. Yes, the dub with the crazy rap in front of it. Like I want to say um, when I was just getting an anime, so probably 10 or 11. But the there's a kind of host of shows that you encounter after you get past all of that. And it's different for everybody. It, different people encounter different things. I encountered a lot of, like, odd shoujo stuff. Because, yo, I'm friends with a lot of girls. But I also encounter, because of... The way I was into anime, I, w- I was the kind of otaku when I first really got into it, who was into it for the artistic aspect, not just for the, like, storyline or the, or, or the, the cultural aspect. Those two things definitely contributed to it, but largely what attracted me to it was the artistic aspect. I had just started to draw. It started to have a huge influence on my illustration style. It still does. There are, I still draw while watching anime. I don't watch anime necessarily every day. I'm... Yo, I gotta pay for my Crunchyroll subscription somehow. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> so I have to have a life and a job and all that. But I do draw almost every day still. And it, are all my drawings amazing? No. Lots of them are very good. Some of them are borderline, like, amazing. But I still draw every day. And so I obviously have a real appreciation for the craft of manga and cartooning and animation. I am trained in all of those things. But the interesting thing about our show today, Tenjo Tenge, is that it it came to popularity not necessarily because of the storyline or the 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 story and the pacing and all the parts that go into making a good story weren't necessarily there. Well, they, they were in a way, but we'll get to that in a minute. What was there was a, a concept. And the thing that supported that concept was some of the best manga illustration... I've ever seen. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Tenjo Tenge, it was a manga that was, I think, somewhere around um, close to 20 volumes or more. 
and it is by an artist named Ogre, and commonly named O. And O, but I'm gonna call him Ogre because it sounds more like a name for the purposes of this podcast. But uh, Ogre is an incredible illustrator, and if you've never seen his illustrations, type in um, Ogre plus Tenjo Tenge, or if that's too hard to spell, because Tenjo Tenge, type in Ogre plus Air Gear, and you will see the kind, the magnitude and the detail and the kind of beauty of his of his illustration style and it's it has this youth and this modernness to it that isn't that isn't guaranteed in anime not necessarily because uh, anime doesn't isn't capable of that shows like bar, shows in manga like Boruto are pulling that off as we speak but don't tend to deal with in the more popular things, especially in America, because so many fans look for a style of anime, and the environments that Ograte creates for his shows are intensely Western-inspired. Even in something like Tenjo Tenge that takes place in a Japanese high school setting, I mean, one of the main characters of that story is a big black dude. <laughs> and that's true of Air Gear 2. There's a big black dude in that. Um, and it, 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 the way that he mixes up the kind of, like, early 2000s modern world with his stories and his illustration style is really, I think, unique. And I'm sure there are other manga artists who do similar things. I can think of a couple other manga who do similar things, manga and anime that do similar things already. But it... His, once again, his illustration style has such a crispness, has such a smoothness that sets it apart. And uh, in an industry that is a glut with talented artists and talented illustrators and people who can draw better than we, we... we, as the people who consume anime many times, can even wrap our fingers around. Uh, he still stands apart. And that's worth something. That's worth more than something. That It makes it worth it to adapt his beautiful manga into anime. But here's where that falls apart. He tells stories... In Tenjo Tenge, specifically, he is trying to tell a story about people who are affect who walk into an aftermath of 
another story. And he is trying to tell a story about the past holding the present back. But he's also trying to do other things. He's trying to play with the idea of a class of people in in Japan that they don't exist here because we don't have what in India they call a caste system, which basically means a system by which people are separated basically at birth by a, a, by their hierarchy in society. And in India they call that a caste system. In other parts of... And that system... That name for that system is extrapolated to explain other things because it's a convenient term and it's a term that applies to characters in lots of anime but in this anime especially. So let me give you a example from a better-known anime of how this... um how this caste system idea plays out in modern society. So, if you have seen um, His and Her Circumstances, which was a Gynax, just for those of you who haven't seen it, it's a Gynax teen romance, romantic comedy drama thing from... I want to say the early, early 2000s. It's made by the same... It's made by the same studio that made FLCL and that made Evangelion. It, which is wild when you watch it because it is a very good but pretty standard romantic comedy. Um, with a few twists as they want to do. But... It, there's a scene in that when... A character comes back and he's really tan and he's got bleach blonde hair. He's got long bleach blonde hair, and the main female lead of the show says, "You can get kicked out of school. You look like a delinquent. You look like a punk." And that's an idea of where individuality divorces from acceptability in Japan. And part of that is attributed to a to a kind of class of people in Japan called the untouchables. And the untouchables basically um if you want a in-depth kind of history of them, you can go watch this video on YouTube by this channel called Rare Earth and it I believe it's titled How to Destroy a People. And um it it's the untouchables are basically the parts of society that don't fit. But the way that Japan built itself up, instead of finding trying to create a complete safety net for those people, it actually built itself over them. So they are under the structure entirely. There's no place for them. And hence, that's why they're called untouchables. They're outside of the realm of normal society. And this 
and Tenjo Tenge deals with this in a really unique way. It introduces, but not in a complete way if you watched her show, which is unfortunate. Um, it introduces the kind of hi- a kind of hierarchy of martial artists, and it p- proposes the idea that there is one family that oversees the martial arts. And in the martial arts, there's all kinds of practices. There's karate, there's judo, there's all kinds of things. Part of the the Takanagi family's mission in overseeing all of the martial arts world in Japan is to create the ultimate martial artist. But another part of its mission is to oversee people who have been born with some kind of supernatural ability. And this is where we start to get into the idea of the untouchables. Because in many, many other animes, supernatural abilities are are treated as an asset, not a hindrance. But in this show they go out of their way to place the show squarely in modern day at the time it was written. Probably squarely in modern day around, like, let's say, the early to mid-2000s. Like, like, the year 2000 and maybe 2005. Like, that five-year span is probably you could fit that show in somewhere there. And... this is the modern world. It's something that doesn't necessarily look exactly like 2018, but going back from 2018 to 2005, you could, like, meet your younger self. You could... You, you would understand the way the world looks at that point. And so these supernatural powers aren't useful because these supernatural powers were for a time of samurai and of epic battles and of slaying demons and of evil warlords. And so that while they were while they were and are dangerous, they were useful. They were ways to survive. They were ways to thrive. But in the modern world there's no place for them. And for the people who are born with them coming up through the modern world, they are plagued with these abilities that are not designed for the world that they inhabit. The per- the perfect example of this is, and I'm not going into the story on this because the story is on this show because the story is incomplete in the show. If you want to experience the full story of Tenjo Tenge, you you need to go find the manga, which um I believe was released by Del Rey, but you can find it somewhere. I'm I'm sure. I, if it's not in print, I, I'm sure you can you can acquire it, so to speak. And once again, it is it is worth doing if only because it is utterly beautiful and fascinating to just look at, but. Anyway, the these supernatural powers don't aren't aren't tuned to the 
real world that people are born into. So they are plagued by them, almost. People of supernatural powers are... They're born with not only a useful skill, but a harmful skill. And that, and in the case of this show, the two kind of... The two quote-unquote powers you encounter are... revolve around dragons. The first is the dragon's eye, and you're introduced to that... pretty quickly... But you're introduced to it along with the kind of backstory of the world you're in. And a backstory that up until that point you didn't know existed. You you got you got hints of other things, but you didn't get hints of that. And that is actually the primary conflict of the show itself. So this thing that happened in the past is such a primary conflict of the show that it reaches forward into the future and halts the cast, halts the whole progression, basically, constantly. And the character who has, dude, you're first introduced to having the dragon eye is a character named Sheen, who is the older brother of one of the, of two of the main cast members, Maya and Aya Natsume. And Sheen is is born with the ability to see the... to Basically, he's born with an all-seeing perception. He can see the future, and he can see everything that is happening all at once. He can also hear everything that's happening all at once. He basically has... The, like, he basically has Cerebro on all the time. And if you've ever stood in a crowd where you hear everybody talking at once, you know how mu- you have an idea of how much that makes you lose it. Imagine you can't escape that. And you can't... You can't... Um... And you're a teenager. You're, you're like, maybe 17 at best. That means that you're facing down this madness-inducing ability that you can't control. And the world around you isn't conducive for you to be able to escape from that in a... Time like in a time of like samurai and of warlords and all these things, you would be useful because you would know everything before it happened. You would be, you would have real power. But in a world where none of that matters, the only things you really know are that your girlfriend is cheating on you, or that someone wants to kill themselves, or that your sister is beating up all your friends and they're about to go after her. I, and and the two of those are a main point. The first one and the last one. The second one is just an extra added bonus that you would probably hear. But it... 
it ultimately drives Sheen kind of, not kind of, it drives him absolutely mad. And it drives him to death, basically. The only, the only way out of his madness of the all-knowing is death. And, but around that happens all of these other things. He has a girlfriend who's supposed to be his kind of handler, almost, who ultimately does become his real girlfriend. He has a sister who he sees as the only person that anchors him to the world. And he has friends who he just wanted to have as normal friends, as high schoolers, as fellow high schoolers he was friends with. But they realize that he's been hiding something from him, from them, and they turn on him, ultimately. Um, one puts him in the hospital, the other is all but the cause of his death. And the interesting thing here is that all of these people demonstrate a kind of clear, a clarity of the caste system. Sheen is very clearly an untouchable. He is like the nobody. He's like the nobodies or the low class workers that make up that ca- that caste of people. Um, Mitsuomi, who is uh, who is another character, is of the highest class of people. He is the he is the person who who is born into the family that oversees all the martial arts. And then there's a last character to this, like, to the, of these classes, who sits squarely in the middle. And here's the interesting thing about Bunchichi. And Bunchichi is, uh, if you're imagining somebody, imagine... A young Matthew Broderick, but in anime form, almost. <laughs> um, I, I, he... Because he's in the middle of all of this, unwittingly, for a long time, he ultimately... is both the best off and the worst off, because he doesn't have the responsibility of... dealing with people who are born into the world with supernatural powers, but he also doesn't ha- he doesn't have any super- he doesn't have any supernatural power, despite the way they animate him fight, which is amazing. But he does also have to watch all of those people around him struggle with these relics of the old of the old world that are defining the way they live so to give this a kind of american bent that people who don't understand that much about japanese society or the caste system quote unquote would understand 
there was slavery in America, and slavery created two castes of people. Black people who were enslaved, and white people who were not enslaved. But it also created, unwittingly, a third kind of person. When the masters got real horny, and they went out and they sexually abused their slaves, children were born. Mixed-race children. And, um, as someone who's mixed-race, I this makes a lot of sense. I Also, I've done my, ge- I've gotten my genealogy back, and I will tell you, there was some slave shit in my past. But, that aside, I, there are these, whenever there are, uh, whenever there's a top and a bottom of a cast system, there has to be a middle. And if there isn't, it will happen eventually. And they have the ability, if they're just talented enough, to float between the two ends of the spectrum. They, they, they can exist at the top and then float down and exist at the bottom of, this, of that cast system. And it, Bunshishi ultimately does that, but he sees those two ends ultimately rip each other apart in a way that they can't, that is irreconcilable. And he takes that with him forward into the next, into the, into the present of Tanjo Tenge's story, which is what makes him such an interesting character in not only the show, but the manga, too. Because he is just a guy who doesn't want to see any more people die than he already has. And he has... And this is the other interesting thing about... About specifically... Um, Ogre's non-pornographic work. For those, for those of you who aren't aware of how Ogre came into the manga world, he started as a hentai manga author. Um... His most notable hentai manga being a pretty long-running series called Silky Whip, <laughs> which in which if you read that, you realize, oh, this guy can make some horny books, and also, oh, this guy really wants to tell a really complicated fucking story, <laughs> and that's, and also his drawings are still mind-bogglingly gorgeous, even in his. Uh, Arrow manga work. And that means that is what ultimately probably elevated him out of that kind of work or shift or allowed him to shift into more like a cross between um shonen manga and etchy manga almost. Um but uh, Boon Shishi is... But the thing about um, Ogre's work that is always really interesting is that 
at the outset, he establishes a strongest character, a character who is has a kind of terrifying strength that nobody at the beginning of the story can approach. But here's the thing. It's never the main character. It never... That character is never... Is... Never the main focus. And in this show... The, when you encounter the strongest character, it's Bunshishi, and you encounter him for a couple of scenes in a bowling alley brawl. And he's not there to kick ass, he's just there to kind of make sure nobody dies. And you find that out later in the show. You find out later that he is this, like, unstoppable monster-killing monster. And so, uh, and ultimately, he's actually the one who puts Sheen in the hospital. And he... But he also bears witness to all this stuff. And he, but he, the reason why he does is because he's free of the... of the requirements of Cat because he's exactly in the middle. And what the requirements are is Sheen is is a piece of society that society doesn't wish, doesn't, wishes doesn't exist. He is the kind of bump, he is the kind of bump in the night monster powers that occur because there was once a need for them, but they are now shameful. And Mitsuomi is the of the cast where he is supposed to deal with those things, and ultimately they end up killing each other. Now this, what everything I've just told you for the past however many minutes it took me to go through all that crazy, happens before you're introduced to our main characters. The characters of whom are, and those characters are, uh, a kid named Nagi, or Toshiro Nagi, I think his name is, and a... um, a character named Bob Makihara, along with a character named Masataka Takanagayi, and two sisters, who I mentioned before, Maya and Aya Natsume. And these are the characters of the Juken, and these are all members of what will be called the Juken Club. Or, like, just... Which basically is a fight club. And... The story starts out with the two characters, Bob and... What is his first name? Because I, I always... Like, it's... it's 
and, and Nagi. Um, hold, hold on, I will find the name because he's important. Tenjo. Thank you, Wikipedia. Um, it starts out with those two characters, and they show up and they want to rule the school. And Sochiro, Sochiro, that's why I thought. So Sochiro and Bob show up and they want to rule the school. And they hear that it's a, it's a special school and they've, they have conquered 99 schools already and they have hear that there's a special school called the Toto Academy and they want to, they want to rule that school and they want to kind of be kings of, kings of Japan in terms of like teenage delinquent assholes kind of way. Um, so they bust into the school and they just start laying people out left and right. And then you're introduced to Maya. And when you're introduced to Maya, you're introduced to this little girl who then, like, balloons up, literally. If you go watch the show, you'll see what I'm talking about. Actually, if you've been in anime for long enough, you know what I'm talking about when I say Maya balloons up. Her bo- she grows from, like, a preschooler body to, like, a full-on mature swimsuit model Asian girl body. And the place where that happens first is her chest. Once again, old habits die hard. Great used to be a hentai author. There's a lot of horniness in his work. It's just the way it is. But it... There are points when that approach is used to emphasize something. Here, it's used to emphasize boobs. But later on in the story, it's used to emphasize other things. So, But we'll get to that. And, but in the previous scene, alongside Bob and Sochiro beating up the whole school, you meet Masataka who is um, a club member of the Duken Club, and he's introduced to Aya Natsume, Maya's younger sister. And he's like, he is... Let me put it this way. He's a very earnest young man, and in the dub, he's voiced by Johnny Yumbosh in a way that, like, He sounds like Renshin from the first part of Elreka 7 before Renshin knows which his ass from his elbow. Like, he's very naive, and he's very earnest. And that fits the character, actually. Um, but... So, he meets... Uh, Masataka it meets... Aya. And he is, like, taken with her. He thinks she's gorgeous and, like, instantly falls for her. But the way the way you're introduced to the show and the way Masataka 
monologues because he he monologues all he narrates parts of the show don't quite fit together and you realize that Masataka is wholly naive of the world and is not is is he is the, the normal teenager in the abnormal world of the show. He is basically the straight man for this show to ultimately punch into the dirt constantly. And, but after they meet, uh, after he meets Aya, a random student comes and gets um, Maya and says, you know, there's these two students that fucking wiping the floor with the entire student body. We need somebody to deal with it. And she's like, fine, I'll go deal with it. Um, she goes up there, she transforms into a full-on high school super babe, and hits Sochiro so hard, he shoots through the window into the, the practice room for the Jukin Club, into, the, into their clubhouse, and into the shower where he... Does the anime thing, the thing the anime does, he falls on top of Aya. Now, what I'm, what I'm about to establish is kind of, is the thing that makes the path, that makes it possible for the path to reach into the future. When he lands on Aya, Aya instantly falls in love with him for 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 reasons of anime uh, um I Ogre is a very 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 talented artist but his stories although they are many times needlessly complicated are fairly dependent on some key points of anime <laughs> And Aya becomes, like, she becomes obsessed with Sochiro. And they spend an entire episode being like, she is obsessed with Sochiro. And at first, Sochiro's like, fuck you, I don't want anything to do with you, you crazy psycho bitch. And it, it she doesn't go full on yandere, but she becomes completely devoted to the idea of being with him, and it, it it's in a real way, and the and it's important to say this in a real way because Ta- uh, Masataka he's infatuated with her, but it's it's not honest, and there's. A theme of this show about honesty and about how characters in this show who are honest, who are truly honest, are set aside from everybody else and often punished. Um, Sochiro is punished severely for honestly wanting to rule the school, so is Bob. Um, mm, 
Aya is punished because Sochiro ultimately falls for her older sister Maya, and that creates a kind a love a love. Let's call it a love hexagon almost because it it start, it incorporates other characters as well later. And Masataka is punished because he his love for Maya is is for Aya is not it's not the same as I I love you and I want it's not I love you and I want to be you, with you forever it's uh it's purely it it at least it's at least alluded to as a purely lustful, like, I'm after your body kind of love. And that can develop into real love. You can go from fuck buddies to full-on husband and wife. That happens. But it's not a... It's not stable, if that makes any sense. It's not something that you would go that if that it's it's one of those like what happens after the dog catches the car kind of thing what happens and they show this later in the show when Aya basically uses him to hide out because the show through the entire show basically demonstrates that Aya has the same powers that her older brother had before he died and she that's the way she finds out that Sochiro loves Maya and in some way Maya ultimately loves him back if if for no other reason than she sees the image of her older brother in him she she cares for him in a way more than just like a teacher does, or a pupil does, or or, or or even she cared for him in a loving way, not necessarily in a romantic way, but in a loving way, and that that that's a very thin line. So that starts this love triangle between the three of them, and that love triangle ignites when Aya takes the sword that was her older brother's sword that acts as a kind of catalyst for magical powers and amplifies them and it's the thing that ultimately amplified Sheen's dragon's eye out of control led to him killing a lot of people and ultimately dying and then it amplifies Maya, Aya's powers in the same way, but she isn't driven by she isn't driven by an endless hate for anyone, and ultimately she takes her feelings of jealousy to Maya and confronts her. Um, that and unfortunately, that is the last episode of the show. Is Maya confront is Aya and Maya having a confrontation over Sochiro, over Aya's feelings for Sochiro, and her, 
and her suspicion about Maya's feelings for him, too. And it's just, this whole show is a mess of the past intersecting with the present and the and the rules of the old guard weighing down the new gener- a new generation of people because the thing i haven't told you so far because the show doesn't make this super clear until the OVAs is Sochiro is from a family that essentially used to be, like, superpower Shinto priest. Kind of like the, um, um, uh, Tenchi's family in Tenchi Muyo. And their kind of magical power was is that they become evil to slay evil, which means that they... They are monsters that fight monsters. And that... That is a... If you've ever seen a war movie or even heard a veteran who's seen combat talk about combat, you you know kind of what that entails. They, They put aside their humanity to protect someone else's humanity. And as a result, Sochiro grew up shunned because he he and his family existed for a purpose that no that was old fashioned and was outdated and was always even when it was useful treated at the bottom of the food chain treated as if he was an untouchable and that is part of what makes him that is a huge part of what makes him similar to Sheen in the from from the episodes the whole episodes of this show they spend on the past and but he isn't he's just the normal kid at the the beginning of the show he finds out about his powers later but because he always struggled against society, he became, he went from being a relatively normal kid to quickly being a delinquent, to quickly being someone who exists outside of the normal realm of society. And as someone who was born and all but continues to exist outside of the normal trappings of the world, I, I mentioned earlier, I'm... I'm mixed race, I'm disabled, I am the survivor of the kind of epic disease that people don't survive, and that when people are presented with, they they either clap in adoration or they clap because they don't know what else to do. And when you are like that as a kid, people don't approach you readily. People don't come to your birthday parties. People don't make friends with you because they don't know how to deal with 
the part of your life that is so painful and so agonizing that's incomprehensible. There's no way to, for lots of people to process that kind of path of life. And uh, it's it's similar. It's the same for Sochiro in this story. You're shown you're shown flashbacks first by themselves, and then Aya sees them with her powers that show that his mother and his fam- his family, and particularly his mother, were so were such outcasts from society that he that's where his initial need for strength came from. He wanted to become strong so he could protect the people close to him and his and in particular his mother because she was an outcast. She was a piece of history that everyone around her and her son wanted to be forgotten. So they wanted her to be gone. And that's... That's... Insane to to conceive of having to deal with as a child. And you see in in those short clips, even in a show that's as incomplete as Tenjo Tenge, why he turns into the kind of person he turns into because he is all at the same time a kind of earnest scumbag. A kind of... He's almost... He's almost Yakuza-like in his character. He He is a through-and-through street punk who do anything to win, but he also clearly has a code and a drive to him. And what's interesting is that he is paired with his best friend, who is a big old black guy. And if you know any, if you know anything about Japan, you probably know that they are insanely racist. Like. Incredibly racist. Like, you think Americans are racist when we are. They are just as bad, if not worse, on many levels, because they are such a homogenous mass of people. There's no real... There's no real cultural individuality amongst them that they... A, that they created something like the untouchable class, which is insane, but B, when presented with something new, they tend to hate it. And that's fairly true. It's gotten better over time, but there are still many Japanese who hate outsiders. That If you've watched, um, what's it called? If you watched uh, Tokyo Drift, um, Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, the word gaijin is literally means outsider and it's a derogatory term um the 
So it's interesting that they pit someone who is very much of the untouchable class with someone who is very much outside, also outside of society in his own way. Purely because of the color of his skin. And it, it this show and manga can come off as this kind of teenage power fantasy. But I don't really think that's the point. The point is for it to be a story about people who are outsiders, who are deemed useless to society finding a use and carving out a use for themselves. And it's somebody who had to do that for himself because, once again, when you are a brain cancer survivor who is a whole human being at the end of it, even if I am physically disabled, it, it that presented to people is perplexing. They don't know how to deal with it. At... I often tell people, like, you know, I, I'm disabled, but I am the most able-bodied disabled person you will probably ever meet. And I am mo I'm so able-bodied that most of my good friends, at some point, forget that I'm disabled. And that's a big deal because it means that they are seeing past what has happened to me and seeing me as a whole person. And this show sets up is sets up all of these characters who are trying to be seen as whole people by at least one other person. Uh, Aya is trying to be seen constantly by the one person she loves, Sochiro, and that continues until the end of the story, not just the end of the show, but the end of the story. Uh, Sochiro is constantly trying to be seen and keep, is trying to keep Maya's focus. And Masataka is trying to be seen by Aya. And, but what's interesting is that the, they don't always match up. Those people don't always want to see those other people, or they acknowledge those other people, and they realize it, and they say, I understand, I see you, but you are not where my focus is. And I know I said a lot of complicated shit, and this show can also just be, a, like, it all the stuff is in there, but it's also a pretty trashy anime and, like, a really complicated, convoluted, insane story, and c combined with, like, a bunch of etchy elements that are beyond the pale, I assure you, and there are full-on sex scenes in the manga that are just... They're alluded to in the anime, but they're not there. They're definitely not there. But all of this stuff is... 
it came to me after I wa- I mean, I watched this thing, I think, for the fourth time to talk about it. And I'm glad I did, because I wouldn't have thought about this stuff without having lived enough life to this point to think about it and to recognize it and to recognize that they are telling a story about the untouchable class making a place for itself and making a place for itself generation by generation slowly instead of what all too often happens in anime of I am other but I am the special so I will stamp my place in the dirt and I will exist and I will force you to look at me. This is a world where that isn't immediate in a show like Naruto or like Bleach or like name your shonen spice of choice. They go out and they become exceptional and they are recognized whole cloth and quickly. And oftentimes are already recognized by the time they are more than they realize. And even if they aren't, like in Naruto, it's it's retconned later, even if it is quote-unquote the original story, that they were always the special and only they could be the special. This is a show that has dealt with that by saying, okay, you were born special. But the world doesn't need you. And the world does not care that you have some kind of uniqueness to you. In fact, it shuns that uniqueness. What now? And in the show's case, in this show's case, it says, what now? Now is when I start to carve my place. And if I don't finish, the I will have carved a path up till that point for the people who come behind me. And as someone who has grown up with a lot of others to contend with, I have always hoped at my best of point that I am somehow clearing the garbage out of the way for the people who come behind me. And I hope that the path stays clean. I hope that I have made a clean enough path where someone else can make it down behind me, even if I don't make it to the other side. Because if you are... If you're watching anime and you're watching all the popular anime and you somehow stumble onto my podcast, uh, what you should know is that... Most cultures don't welcome the kind of difference that is displayed in anime. In fact, the kind of difference and uniqueness that is displayed in anime comes from a culture that itself oftentimes does not recognize those differences as being of any value. Even as much as America, as American values, say individuality is important, 
if you are too unique, you are deemed terrifying. I, when I, uh, when I, and I hope that I get to be a counselor again at this camp sometime in the future, um, when I went to a camp for cancer survivors, a thing everybody would do would tell war stories. Would they would say like they would tell stories about when they were in treatment, about like all the crazy like, oh man, I got morphine one time and it was awesome. I know why they keep that stuff locked up now because it felt good. But I never told those stories and this girl whose name I'll I'll spare her name from this podcast because she doesn't need to be mentioned in her nerdy in her nerdy animation. Pod, podcast looked at me and she noticed. She's like, Alex, why don't you tell any stories? I looked at her and I said, well, because mine aren't fun. I don't live at the end. Like, I, it, it's not... It, in a world full of tragedies, like communities of cancer survivors there are tragedies that are wholly unique there are hard stop points at which those people don't come out the same they don't no matter how young they are no matter how resilient they are they don't survive um a great example of this is uh, the actually John Green's really popular book that got turned into a movie that I loved called The Fault in Our Stars. And in that book, and once again, in John Green's book, it is not either of the main characters that it really is a true tragic figure in that book. Although, spoiler alerts, Augustus does die and Hazel does live on and that is a tragedy. But you're introduced to this kind of stunning, angry truth about cancer, that it it can be unrelenting, and it can take all that a person is when you meet Isaac, I think his name is. And he's a character who had ocular cancer, and he is missing one eye, and he exists for much of the show, for much of the story, as this kind of, like, sardonic... Um, funny, nice, fun character with a great, with a great, beautiful relationship and a great sense of humor until he gets the news that he will be losing his other eye because that was the thing that let him see the world. He got, he got out of it with with something and as someone who has gone two rounds in the ring with brain cancer I can't tell you how lucky I was to get out with my life and there were times when I didn't and he gets out when he comes out of the hospital he is blind and his girlfriend struggles with him struggle to be with him because he has lost 
another chunk of himself. The, the cruel reality of cancer had, lo- had taken another chunk of him. And in a show like Tenjo Tenge, it lays that on the table and it shows you people that have lost chunks of themselves and are close to losing more of themselves as the story progresses and it shows you how much resilience it takes to stand by those people and the fact that most people aren't most people no matter how strong they claim to be aren't prepared for that at all but on that disturbingly unhappy note this show also has some really great music which is really bizarre to talk about and it has an intensely memorable ending theme an intensely bizarre hip hop opening theme and it also it because it is shonen at the end of the day it has some ridiculous ridiculous, insane moments, and it's shown in mashed together with Ichi, which makes those insane moments just the best. Like, um, they're the, the, so Bunshishi's chasing after another character in one of the, like, flashback episodes, and he sees a side character from this flashback, from this, from the cast of characters in the flashback. He sees his head... Um, superimposed over his over this character's ass as he's staring at her running away from her from running away from him and it's just this ending song starts to play at that moment and it goes bonkers like like the, the whole thing is like oh this show had some really serious things in it because trying to be edgy and it's doing a good job at that but it's also shonen etchy bullshit <laughs> and that's really the that's probably the thing that makes this show feel so trashy is because as soon as it inches close to that all of that stuff I was talking about earlier it just Totally whiffed like, what if gratuitous boobs, what if gratuitous titties? And it, that, that's ultimately kind of the problem with the show, and probably the reason why it, why it would cut so short in anime form, but not in manga form. So if any of what I talked about interests you and you can make it through the, like, cool edgy teenness of it, definitely... Maybe not watch the anime, but check out the manga, because the manga, at the very least, is absolutely gorgeous. Um, you can find all kinds of the... Because pr- they made promo posters they released with the manga. I used to tear them out and put them all over my locker. Um, because I was an edgy teen who loved pretty things. Um... And, th- like, you can find those online, and they're fucking immaculate. On that note, my name has been Alex, and this has been Lunchbox Radio. I have to call that person back who just called me. Um, but I hope you guys liked the show. If you did, you can subscribe to it on any of your podcast acquisition apps of choice. I'm on all of them. Uh, leave me a 
review, a five-star review, tell me why you like the show, what you found interesting about what I talked about, or any of that. Um, it helps a lot. Um, until next week, I'll see you later. Thank <laughs> you.